I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, here we go. Blue Jays in action against Tampa Bay. The Blue Jays have yet to score in this game. Quite a contrast from the weekend. Top of the fourth, Tampa Bay nothing, Toronto. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Blue Jays, of course, scored 44 runs in their previous three games, including 22 yesterday. We're going to dive into that a little bit uh, deeper later on tonight with Mike Johnson, the former pitcher for the Montreal Expos. Monday night football. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Da-da. That's a bad interpretation of the old theme song, but you know what I'm talking about. Ravens and Raiders, that'll kick off in 10 or 15 minutes. We'll keep you updated on that game. Some pretty uh, interesting games in the NFL yesterday. As a Seahawks fan, I watched the Seahawks and the Colts, saw the second half of the Chiefs and the Browns. Talked to big Browns supporter Jack Michaels today who said, hey, man, Browns controlled the game for three and a half quarters. It may be a bit of an overstatement, but uh, they did have control of the game, did have the lead, and uh, didn't help. They gave up a long touchdown pass. Their punter dropped the snap, and the Chiefs able to win yet again, as they have often done over the last three or four seasons in the National Football League. Anyway, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We do have the Nuge on the show in an hour. After the 7 o'clock news, Ryan Nugent Hopkins will check in. He skated this morning as uh, the Oilers continue to tune up for training camp with their captain skates, the informal skates, whatever you want to call them, at Rogers Place. The Nuge, a winner on the weekend. His filly, his four-year-old, infinite patience, winning the Northlands Distaff. Uh, This horse having a great season, three wins and five starts. First time infinite patience has ever run in Edmonton. So Nuge got to be there at the race and a pretty significant uh, victory for infinite patience. So Nuge will take us into his horse racing career, the thrill of victory. And of course, we'll talk a little bit of hockey with him as well. And uh, after the 630 news, Blake Dermott will dive into what ails the Edmonton Elks. And uh, after well, I, I, for me, anyway, I, an increase in hope one week ago doing the show after the Labor Day Classic, it was another what-is-going-on type of performance, especially from the offense, as they lost to the Calgary Stampeders. So we'll talk about that in the first half hour as well. You're welcome to chime in on the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. The phone number, 
780-496-0063. Okay, I do want to touch on some hockey stuff first. And, man, oh man like, I, I, I do love this time of year. I, I do love this time of year. Um, you got hockey getting ready to go. Football's in full swing. I, I don't mind the fall temperature myself. I know it cools off a little bit, but I, I prefer a day like today than plus 38, plus 39, whatever we were up to there at the end of June and early July. You got university sports starting. I, I guess there isn't as much golf going on, but but I do love this time of year. And uh, I know from a perspective of doing this job, you got you know the uh, the elk season in full swing though as i mentioned we'll see where they're going to go and you got the oilers getting ready to rock and roll so it was good to be in rogers place today to see the guys skate they had 23 skaters on the ice plus three goaltenders that was uh, smith koskinen and Stuart skinner on the ice we're going to have the rookie camp starting on wednesday so we'll have plenty of stories from that don't forget there is the rookie game saturday at Rogers Place against the Flames rookies, and then they're going to go to Calgary one week from tonight. Now, remember, uh, no fans for that game and for uh, Oil Kings preseason games as they're just trying to iron out how they're going to handle some of the protocols and and getting people in with the proof of vax and all that kind of stuff. But there will be fans uh, in Rogers Place on September 28th when the Oilers have a preseason game. So anyway, just some things to remember there. But yeah, the Oilers... uh, out on the ice, McDavid there, Nugent Hopkins, settle there. No Zach Hyman. He's uh, he's taking part in uh, some promotional work being done by the NHL in Toronto. But a lot of the significant players were there today. So it was cool to see them skating, including Zach Cassian, who, you know, I, I think as you talk about the Oilers for the upcoming season, and you, you when I look at a team, I, I kind of always think, okay, the, these are things that should should absolutely be positives for the team and i think for the oilers the, the positives are pretty pretty obvious i, I mean you have mcdavid you have dry nugent hopkins a very good player i think zach hyman's going to be a positive i think the power play should once again be very good so you have some I, I mean anything can obviously happen in pro sports injuries and crazy things always always can play a factor but i, I look at the team and think okay here, here are some things that I, I think are a pretty solid foundation and that very well should be positives for the team um unless something goes wrong and then to me there's always that column where okay these are the big question marks and maybe the negatives of the team right and and i think for the oilers you still maybe wonder are they going to have enough scoring depth uh how are some of the new defensemen going to factor in you know how's the goaltending so maybe not necessarily uh full-on negatives but you have that question mark column as well and i i would put i would I would, to some extent at least, put Zach Cassian in that question mark column. We've seen Zach Cassian be so, so good. And, and if we factor this into the that entire conversation we continue to have about the Oilers over the, really, I'd say, the last three or four years, ever since McDavid and Dreisaitl really have asserted themselves as two of the top guns in the league, as, as, as no doubt guys who are going to consistently produce points. And we, we often lump Ryan Nugent Hopkins in there to, with the, you know, as the big three, the players who are always going to control. And I, and I think even though we say Nugent Hopkins didn't have a great year this past year, five on five, still a pretty solid contributor who's become a very, very good all-around player. So, uh, you know, you, 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 we've always discussed how, how do the rest of the forwards fit into this? Who's going to play with McDavid? Can you not play McDavid and Dreisaitl together all the time? So can you have a top six? 
Could the Oilers actually have a top nine this year? I heard Stoff talking about that on Oilers now earlier today with Zach Hyman coming in, with Warren Fogle coming in, uh, depending on what happens with Kyler Yamamoto, who, of course, still does not have a contract, but I, I would think he will have one and will be part of the team, and, and Zach Cassian. And, you know, we've speculated a lot, and I've certainly speculated, about the Oilers' top two lines. And I think there's a very good chance it starts with McDavid centering Zach Hyman and Jesse Pugliarvi. And Pugliarvi, to me, has become one of those guys where I'm thinking, you know what, he should be a positive. He he should be a positive. I, I would definitely lean towards him being in that column where he's less of a question mark now. And I'm not saying he's going to go out there and get, you know, 50 goals or a point a game, but I, I think he played well enough last year that it's reasonable, at least in my mind, to assume, okay, he maybe he can progress a little bit more and be a solid contributor and be that good complementary player for Connor McDavid. And then on the, you know, if then if you look at the second line, I, I don't think it's a given. I, I don't think it's a given that it's going to be Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto. I, I, I don't at this point. It's, it's going to be Dreisaitl. It's going to be Nugent Hopkins. Those guys are going to be in the top six, whether they're together or not. So who's that other spot going to go to? I, I've put out the name Kyle Turris before. I, I think Stoff has talked about that as well. And, and hey, we, we know what happened with Turris. He, he did not have a great season. Didn't get a lot of points. Just a couple of goals. Was scratched in a lot of games down the stretch. But I wonder if at some point he gets one. And maybe it's just in the preseason. Maybe it's just in the preseason. And we say, okay, what's going on with Kyle Turris? Can, can he contribute? Can he possibly, um, you know, actually uh, do something as a complimentary player? Maybe he gets that shot. Yamamoto, I'm sure we'll get a spot at some point. I'm not sure it's right out of the gate. And then there is Zach Cassian, who we have seen um, be the player that is uh, a darn good contributor who have, I've described as a loud player. You know, some players you say, if, if you don't notice them, if they kind of play a quiet low event game, they probably had a good night. What did, what did somebody uh, who covers the Calgary Flames say about Derek Ryan when the Oilers picked him up? That he's going to give you 10 to 12 minutes of uneventful hockey every night. Well, if you're Derek Ryan, that's what you want. Go out there, win some face-offs, win some puck battles, play resilient, don't be a minus player, don't make dumb plays. That, that's a good night for Derek Ryan. Zach Cassian is, is not the type of player that can be a quiet player. Zach Cassian needs to be a loud player. And when he's a loud player, he helps the Edmonton Oilers a lot more than when he's a quiet player. Now, this past season derailed a couple of times by injury. Season before that, you know, some suspensions. But we, we know when he's on his game, he can be a loud player. Now, it's maybe a little harder to be a loud player when you don't have fans reacting loudly to what you're doing, which is hitting, maybe fighting a little bit, maybe chipping in with the odd goal. Uh, but I, I think maybe that's why Cassian might be another player who gets a look somewhere in the top six at some point and probably earlier in the season to see if he can really get it going. But Cassian was talking on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today about what he believes is the Oilers' increased forward depth. Well, it's huge. It's, it's, it's huge. It's tough. Obviously, Ken has a, a tough job to do, obviously, with the flat cap. But when you bring in guys like that, like you mentioned, they all bring something to a team 
that at the end of the day helps them win. I know they might not be 100-point guys, but you look at a guy like Hyman, he plays very, very well with very skilled players. He has a knack for the net. He's strong around the net. He's good in all situations. Then you bring in Fogel, a guy that can skate, uh, go up and down, protect pucks, bring pucks to the net, has a scoring touch. And then, like you said, a guy like Derek Ryan, a veteran guy that's been around a while, that's a sentiment, wins draws. He does all the little things right that at the end of those 60 minutes, you're checking up two points on the board and you're moving on to the next one. So all those guys are going to help us win hockey games and ultimately get into the playoffs. And once you get in, look at Montreal. You never know what could happen. So those players are going to help us hopefully strive and keep getting better as the season progresses and ultimately get us into the playoffs. And then from there, you never know what could happen. Well, and that's uh, for sure. You never know what can happen in Montreal. Several teams have proven that in the NHL over the years. So, I mean, here's really the hope for the Oilers is is not just that they, they signed players who can come in and play a forward position. They've signed players who can come in and play a forward role. And to me, uh, that is the bit. I mean, Kyle Turris signed up to to be a third line center. Okay, we hoped it could happen at least offensively. Well, it didn't happen offensively. Plus, he wasn't able to adapt to a checking role, which he'd never really played at any other point in his career. Derek Ryan is coming in to do what Derek Ryan has always done. Warren Fogle hopefully is coming in to do what Warren Fogle has always done during his brief career with the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, can he be that third line energy, take the puck to the net, draw penalties, that kind of stuff. Zach Hyman, play with skilled players, compliment them, grind, be difficult to play against, show some skill. All right. So, and then it's, and then to take it further to Cassian, can he be consistently, and I think that's the key for him, consistently that type of loud player that has helped the Oilers in the past. Whether it's with McDavid, with Dreisaitl, or on a depth roll, that's what they're looking for from him. And maybe, you know, maybe he needs fans in the building. Maybe he needs to be in Roger's place with 18,000 of you crazies and deliver a body check and the boards rattle and everybody starts cheering and it's it, it just ratchets up the uh, ratchets up the enthusiasm of the building. And maybe he needs to be that guy to go into a road building and stir it up and hear the fans booing him, and he thrives on that. Maybe that's going to help. Maybe that's going to help. And, and he certainly commented to Bob his excitement level on seeing the fans come back. The NHL, I think, I think everyone, not only myself, but everyone's extremely excited to get back to some normality here. They suck with no fans. It wasn't the NHL. You go to the rink, you go into warm-ups, you got people around the glass, the music's pumping, the glass is shaking, you can feel the energy in the building. And to not have that was very, very odd. But obviously, at the end of the day, the puck drops and you try to play through it. And you have to play through it because at the end of the day, no one's coming with the white flag putting fans in the building. But this year, I think uh, you can you can tell already there's a there's an added excitement for the year to get back to some normality, to get uh, our fans back in the building, to go on the road and get the booze. Um, that to me is is hockey where you get the goosebumps you get the adrenaline it's uh it's fun to play in away barns it's fun to play in home barns um fans are a big 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 part of hockey and there's no doubt we miss them but in saying that we're very excited to get them back and like i said nor some normality back in this life obviously it's been a tough uh, one and a half years with uh what's been going on in the world well, no doubt about no doubt about that, and the fans will be back in uh, in Rogers' place for this season. A little bit there from Zach Cassian. Don't forget, we got the Nuge coming up as well. It is six nineteen. It's Inside Sports on Chet.
he drops back. Looks, looks like he wanted to go deep. In fact, he is going deep now up into the air, and that is caught and into the end zone for a touchdown. Let's rub some salt in the wound just a little bit. Kamar Jordan with the touchdown, and that was a beauty. That is the end of the game, uh, mercifully. 32-16, the final score. The Calgary Stampeders over the Edmonton Elks here on the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Little play-by-play from Morley Scott from Saturday night, and that touchdown call, the snap of the ball with 20 seconds left in the game. Calgary leading 25-16, and what do they do? Long bomb, 50-yard touchdown, 10 seconds left, get the extra point, win 32-16. And that, in a nutshell, wrapped up what I thought was a great coaching performance by Dave Dickinson and his staff. Knowing the situation, knowing what you need, making every play count, they didn't do that to humiliate the Elks. They didn't do that to, to run up the score. They, they, they didn't do that to, you know, just be jerks about it, quite frankly. They did that to win the season series. I mean, the, uh, the Elks took the first game 32-20. Calgary was leading the second game by nine. Not good enough. So they said, let's chuck one to the end zone and see if we can win the season series. And they were able to do it and now if these teams end up tied and we'll see how this season goes uh, I, I mean the Elks I think have have some concerns and things to deal with here and we'll talk about that with Blake Dermott coming after the break if if the Elks and the Stampeders end up tied in the standings Stamps finish ahead they won the season series on points for and against do I think personally that's the best tiebreaker when teams play each other twice no I think you should go to divisional record because then you you know you don't have to worry about plays like that happening. But Calgary knew the situation, and they took advantage of it. And the Elks weren't ready to defend it, and they got the touchdown. So I mean that game to me it was uh, relatively close after the first quarter. I, I, neither team was really doing much. Calgary started to play better in the second quarter, and then really I, I mean. It wasn't close. I mean, Edmonton did a little bit to make close. Tremaine Washington, who, credit to him, had a good game defensively, got the pick six, pulled the Elks back in it, and then they just repeatedly could not capitalize on anything. And now my concern going forward, we, we've seen five games. So some of the dialogue from earlier in the season, well, we didn't have a training camp. Well, we didn't have, or we're sorry, we didn't have preseason games. We didn't have this. This is this, you know, we didn't play last year. It doesn't apply anymore. They've played five games. They've scored six offensive touchdowns. Four of them were in one game. And one of the touchdowns was a complete garbage time window dressing touchdown against the Montreal Alouettes. So it's not a one-off with the Elks anymore. Where do they go from here? Blake Dermott will try to answer that question when we get back. Jays are getting going. They've scored four in the bottom of the fourth to have a 4 nothing lead over the Rays. They are still batting with two outs. Manoa on the hill for the Jays today. Five strikeouts, no hits allowed through four innings. So Toronto trying to 
keep rolling. They've moved into a, a wild card spot thanks to their recent run, taking on the first place Tampa Bay Rays earlier today. It was uh, Gary Sanchez with a winning single in the 10th. New York Yankees came back from five down to beat the Twins 6-5. Aaron Judge had a three-run homer with two outs in the eighth. So New York winning for just the fourth time in 16 games after they had that 13-game winning streak. They're a half game behind the Jays in the wildcard chase. I can also tell you Toronto Maple Leafs' Austin Matthews saying he's feeling good following wrist surgery and he plans to be in the lineup for the Maple Leafs season opener. That is on October 13th, October 13th against the Montreal Canadiens. Now, he was wearing a protective brace today during the Canadian leg of the NHL and the NHL Players Association media tour in Toronto. He says he expects to resume skating later this week. And uh, like the Oilers, so all training camps open up on uh, September 22nd. Monday Night Football is underway, actually Nine minutes into the game, Ravens and Raiders. We have no score in that one. Ravens facing a third and 13 from their own 38. And uh, was Lamar Jackson sacked? Yes, he was. He was trying to get up and run like maybe he didn't hit the ground. But he did. So the Ravens will be punting to Las Vegas. Well, talking about the Elks there before we went to break, it has been... uh, I guess an up-and-down year, to be fair. I mean, they did have an excellent game one week ago today. They did beat BC, but the three home games have definitely been downers. After the loss to Calgary on Saturday, head coach Jamie Elizondo took the blame. Yeah, disappointed. Disappointed in myself. I didn't didn't feel like I a very good game and we didn't execute offensively we got knocked back uh quite a bit and there was a lot of pressure a lot of noise around trevor and uh, we didn't execute but i'll take responsibility for this one all right well a lot to discuss after that game about this team i think blake Dermott, our elks analyst on 630 ched joins us now blake welcome back to the show how are you doing buddy um i'm doing just great yes <laughs> watching this uh, watching this monday night football game and thinking about that game on saturday i'm doing fine yeah yeah, uh, and you know, you're a Patriots fan. Did you get to watch the the Mac Jones era begin yesterday? I watched a little bit of it. I, I uh, we had a um, we had some family over yesterday afternoon. Uh, it was my uh, birthday celebration, so I, the the game was on, but I didn't get to watch a ton of it. But uh, that was okay. Oh, happy birthday! So, how does 35 yeah. feel? <laughs> it feels good a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> no, All not right. quite. But it's. <laughs> It's, oh, it's, you share good. you share you share a birthday with my dad. I did. I just realized that. Well, mine was on the tenth. Mine was on the yeah, tenth. That's, yeah, that's yeah, that's my dad's. I just looked you up. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you and it's, it's also it's also my brother's, who's exactly one year older than me. So, well, that's easy for the family to remember then. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> everybody's birthday at the same time. All right. Well, I hope you had a great birthday. I hope you had a good celebration yesterday. So, look, I, I want to start with that Elizondo clip, and, and I'm sure you've been on teams where the coach maybe came out after the game and said, okay, that's on me. And and you and I have certainly both heard it in our days working behind the microphone. When you hear that from Elizondo after a game like that, is is he actually taking blame? Is he trying to deflect so other areas of his uh, locker room don't have to take criticism? What do you read into what he said? Well, I think it's exactly what you just said as a, as a, in your second comment there. We saw Trevor Harris do that earlier in the season as well. You know, put the blame for the whole loss and everything on himself. I think, 
I think that, uh, um, you know, maybe maybe they're worried about the psyche in the room where guys, you know, are a little fragile and, and are worried that, that if they can deflect the game and then they can deflect the blame on this thing and uh, guys can then focus and concentrate on getting, doing things right. I mean, I understand the premise of it. I do. And uh, I think it's a noble thing that athletes and, and coaches do in, in, in sports. But the reality is, is that um, you, as a coach, you can only – it's like you can lead the horse to water, right? But but these guys, you put a game plan in place, and the game plan couldn't have been much different than what it was the week before because you didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare. There's obviously some wrinkles. But the players have to perform. Like, I was on the sidelines in that game, and I was on the sidelines for the Montreal game as well. There was a noticeable difference on the sidelines I, from, from what was visually um, uh, happening in the game in Calgary where guys were engaged and guys were excited and people were up. And and I'm 20 yards away from that bench, and I swear I couldn't hear anything. Like it just, it was a, a different kind of a thing. And and so, you know, it's great that the coach does that, and the, the coach take the coach takes some of the blame for it, and other players will take blame for things like that. But but man, those guys are professionals over there, and and I think every one of them's got to look into themselves, well, with the exception of the defenders. I thought they played exceptionally well. I think that those guys played really well. Um, but I, I, I think that that team, the team as a whole, has got to look at itself and figure out what they want to do for the rest of the season. Yeah, and, you know, Blake, it's because I, 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 like, I don't want to come on here and be all panicky, right? I mean, they're, they're two and three. There are nine games left. After Winnipeg, it, it appears to be, I mean, on paper, if you just looked at the standings, it appears to be relatively wide open for second through fifth in the West. So I, I have to remind myself of that. But I was saying before we went to break, the Elks on offense have scored six touchdowns. Four of them came in one game. And the game, the touchdown they got against Montreal, yes, of course, the points go on the scoreboard, but it didn't affect the flow or the final outcome of the game it was a window dressing touchdown in a game in which the Alps were being blown out so that does worry me for the future because stale offensive performances for the Elks are not a one-off I mean three have been extremely stale and even though they won in BC I think there were still some issues in that game too so that that's what worries me is you know at what point does it start clicking maybe it just isn't able to click well when I look at this roster, and I, like, I, I don't think this is a personnel issue with this roster. I mean, I, I look at the players that are on there, and they're, they're, they have, they have a, an outstanding group of players that receive, some, some were saying, calling this possibly the best receiving core in the league uh, at the beginning of the season. They have a quarterback who has routinely thrown uh, over or in and around the 5,000-yard mark. Um, they have uh, a guy who, uh, a kicker who will probably, uh, probably has an opportunity to be uh, in the Hall of Fame, you know, with the type of stuff that he does. Their defense is leading the league in, in many categories. So, so when you when you look at this team, that I don't speak of this team, you know, as, as some uh, as a team that that you know I'm, I'm. I don't think they're good enough. I think that they're good enough. They just have to figure out what they're doing because. And I don't know if that's the direction that they're they're being led by by the coaches, and I have to believe that it's not. But but I also believe that you take two years off from doing something, and uh, and 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 then you throw a bunch of guys together that and that offensive line. They've had one game where they've had the same group starting together, uh, which was this last game, which was you know they played really well in Calgary, and then they just it was, a, it was seven sacks against them last game. It was a, it was a nightmare. 
but uh, it's it just is, as you said, it's sort of on again, off again. And, and it isn't because of talent, because this is a talented team. They just, they, they have to figure out, uh, they have to figure out their identity and they have to figure out who each, they have to figure out who each one of them is in the locker room. Cause I got a feeling there's still a lot of guys playing for themselves. And, and, and I wouldn't have said that after that first game against Calgary. Well, and that's the disappointing part to me. Like doing the show a week ago tonight after the Labor League Classic, I felt I felt hopeful. And I wasn't all of a sudden thinking, okay, they're as good as Winnipeg or, well, at the time I thought Hamilton, but then Hamilton goes out and loses and now Dane Evans is hurt. But I thought, okay, you know, they, they got a chance to sweep this home-and-home home series and bury Calgary and, and be a solid third and, and maybe looking at second, depending on how Saskatchewan did against Winnipeg. So that's, that, that's the confounding part to me. And, you know, I... Again, I like I don't. You mentioned the uh, the defense had a good game. I, I think for the most part, I would give the defense a passing grade this season. But I, I I continue to look at the offense, and I went back and looked at the play-by-play. You know the the drive summaries for the game, Blake. They they got to the Calgary fifteen, they got to the Calgary twenty-three, and they got to the Calgary thirty-four, and settled for field goals every time. And then of course, tons of drives, including a couple in the fourth quarter where they actually had a chance to take the lead if they would have moved the ball. Um, you know, two, three plays, uh, and, and then they're punting or they're getting sacked. So, like, and, and I know you always tell me, you got to be careful criticizing the play calling because you don't know what plays are being called. But I can also say it appeared that plenty of plays weren't working and maybe something differently didn't, something needed to be done differently. Yeah, no, well, and that's, I think that's what Coach Elizondo said at the end of the game. He said, I don't think I, I wasn't really happy with the way I called the game today. Um, you know the, the the choice of plays that he called, he wasn't happy with. So that was evident, and and I felt the same way. Uh, but one of the things that has really hurt this team, and we've rarely talked about it, uh, is the special teams part of it. I mean, the special teams is, you know, and and I'm, I can remember some of the great teams I played on that uh, we always had a really good returner. And I'm not saying they don't have a good returner, but they're they're certainly not giving this guy a chance to do anything. And uh, it doesn't matter who they play against. They, they they don't have any chance of busting a, re, a return, and we haven't seen a return I think broken in three years, four years here in Edmonton, where we used to see him on a weekly basis. So so from that standpoint, it hurts. But what it's hurting more than anything is their their starting possessions for the t- for the team going into the game. They were they, their average starting possession was their own 30 yard line, 30.4 yard line or something, which was the absolute worst in the league because they're not getting the turnovers. And I, I said I thought defense played really well. But how many interceptions did they did they have a chance to get in that game? They they got one, but they could have had three more. They hit guys right in the chest, or were were definitely uh, opportunities for for uh, change of field position. And and then now the, all of a sudden the offense doesn't have to start the drive from the 15 yard line or 20 yard line and get two or three touchdowns or two or three first downs and still have to punt because if they would have started the 45 yard line, now all of a sudden they got a chance to kick another field goal or they're in scoring positions. And when you're in that, that, when the field position turns like that, you can call the game differently. And that impacts how coach Elizondo called the game and, and how, how the offense is, you know, they're, they're always sort of playing, trying to protect their back instead of being aggressive. And, and that's what happens when you start so far in your own zone. And, and that's what they've got to change. Those are the kinds of things that this, the special teams can't just be out there. We're just not going to get in trouble. We're not going to, we're not going to lose a game. That can't be your attitude. Those guys have to go out there. The guys on the special teams have to go out there and say, we're going to win a game for this team. And then, and then they, they've got to play that aggressive style so that, that, that that'll help their offense out immeasurably. Yeah. I mean, really they've had, 
one impactful return all season long. That was the one that helped set up the game clinching drive against the BC Lions. I, I mean, you just they're just not getting much out of that unit for sure. And I, you know, I got to hand it to Dave Dickinson and his staff because, I, and again, Blake, you know, I you, you don't know what plays are called, but the Calgary offense to me. It seemed to me they, they made a concerted effort to start doing things a little quicker in the second quarter, give Bo Levi some shorter passes to ease into it. I still don't think Bo Levi had a good first half. I mean, he, he a veteran quarterback took two time count violations that killed drives late in the first half, but then I thought he was very good in the second quarter. And then I, I was given Dickinson props in the first half hour of the show tonight, knowing the exact situation to go for that long bomb to try to win the season series in the final 20 seconds. Okay, two things. First of all, that was a Hail Mary, okay? Uh, what, well, Bo still, Levi though, they're Mitchell, trying to get the points, right? They're, they they know they could use the points. He threw that down the field so he didn't get a sack. It was, it was a Hail Mary, and there was, there was more uh, Elks defenders there. That was a lucky throw, and, and, and it, turned in, it turned out to be a great thing for Calgary. Yeah, you, you don't score touchdowns if you don't throw the ball down the field. I understand that. But, but that whole thing was, uh, he was almost sacked. He stepped up in the pocket. He just was almost over the line of scrimmage and threw it. That was one of those busted coverage types of things. So that, you know, when people were getting upset, they were, they were, uh, um, may have been looking to run the score up or whatever. Uh, I, I, that, that was a busted play that Bo made, but it was a, it was a wing and a prayer, that thing. That, that's all that was. So I don't even count that as a touchdown. Here's, here's the thing that bothers me is in two of the three losses that you mentioned earlier, were against Ottawa and Calgary. And in both of those games, the defenses played really well. Uh, the defense for, for the Elks played really well. And the offenses for the other team, because just like you said, I don't think Bo had a great game. I don't think Bo played really well. But he just kept getting the ball back because the Elks couldn't do anything with it. And he, he certainly didn't play well in the first half. He should have had four interceptions in that game. And he threw one. Bo did not play a good game, yet the Elks couldn't take advantage of it, much like that first game against Ottawa, where Nichols but through for like I don't even know if he got a hundred yards passing, and they still won the game. yards. Yeah, yeah, and and those are the things that this is what this is what's really when they have an opportunity to take advantage of a team in the game, they're not doing it, and that's that that aggressive. That's that I say, just sitting on the sidelines, not feeling the energy. There's not the energy on the sidelines, in in the two losses that I've witnessed down up close, and that's the thing that concerns me the most. So who who has to start that? Does it have to be one of the vets? Does it have to be like I, I would think it should be the players if it's me sitting there looking at it. What, what do you who has to start it in your mind? Well, I I was never one of those guys that looked to somebody else to get me fired up, and and so I I, I have a difficult time saying who's got to do it. It's got to be like a team. It's got to be an attitude, right? And the Elks look like they could have a new player coming in on the defensive side of the ball, and that's kind of what he does. He's quiet, but he's a leader, and he, he leads by example. He'll make the big play, make the big hit. Those are the kinds of things. That's what this team needs, and they need to get excited about that kind of stuff. If, if James Wilder has a good run like he did in Calgary, that 29-yard uh, run that he ran over about six guys, um, there should have been 12 guys and guys off the bench coming onto the field getting excited about that. I know it was near the end of the game, but those are the kinds of things that got to lift this team up, and those are the kind of things that they've got to start to milk. And and uh, and right now everybody's just still trying to find their own way. It's almost like it's almost like there's a bunch of guys in the locker room, and I know this they've played five games, but a bunch of guys in the locker room trying to get to know everybody, because I still don't think a lot of guys know who they are. 
Well, Blake, uh, man, yeah, Winnipeg coming up, and, and they look very, very good. So we'll see if the Elks can answer the bell here. Hey, glad you had a great birthday. You know, I always love having you on the show, man. We'll do this again next week. I really appreciate it. All right, Reed. Thanks, thanks for calling me. That is Blake Dermott checking in tonight. So interesting analysis from him. He's, he's not given Calgary as much credit as I am for the last-minute touchdown to win the season series. But it, it's interesting how he went back to that point a few times about the lack of energy on the bench and, and maybe guys don't know their roles and they're still getting to know each other a little bit in the dressing room. I mean, clearly something is, is off. We have seen them do things well uh, at times and they had a pretty good game overall one week ago from today uh, on Labor Day and then looked like a totally different team on Saturday night. I'm uh, happy to hear from you on what ails the Elks and what you think the next step is 780-496-0063 if you want to check in don't forget Nuge coming up between 7 and 7 30. Good to have you tuning in tonight. Six o'clock countdown to kick off on Saturday. Game at 745. Elks against the mighty Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That is going to be a tough one. We'll continue to preview that game throughout the week. Willie Jefferson, just uh, maybe the best player overall in the Canadian Football League. Defensive end for the Blue Bombers. He is scheduled to join us on the show tomorrow. I can also tell you this. Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Jet Broadcasting Compound. You're going to like this. Okay. Uh, at, at times randomly over the past few months or years. So we've, we've brought up Gerard Butler films on this show. Uh, I still haven't watched Geostorm, but I'm sure of all the storm movies, it's one of the top 10. Uh, Gerard Butler has a new film coming out. Have you seen the commercials for this Kellen cop shop? No, I have not. All right. It's called cop shop. It comes out on Friday. It was written by an Edmontonian, Kurt McLeod. We're going to have Kurt McLeod on the show this week. Oh, cool. Yes, he's going to be on the show. I'm not sure what night exactly, but Kurt's going to be on the show and tell us about, uh, well, writing a screenplay and getting made into a Hollywood movie starring Gerard Butler. That's really the cool story. So uh, that'll be fun. Cop Shop! Yes, Gerard Butler. Oh, we don't got the butler next. We got the Nooch. His horse won on Saturday. He's getting ready for the new season. Ryan Nugent Hopkins next on Inside Sports. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.